Life? Well, you know, I, I got, I always know when my, point, my toes are pointed straight that, that my heart's beating. But when they po tone, uh, pointed up for a duration of time, something has stopped. And so I'm thankful today my toes are pointing straight. And uh, they might, my feet might be hurting, but, but they pointed straight. What are you really thankful for? I mean, have you thought much about it? Y'all going to be with all your family this week? And some of you say, I ain't thankful about that. <laughs> if you knew my family preacher, you wouldn't be thankful either. What are you thankful for? You thankful for your kids? You thankful for your home? How about a job? Amen. You know, you're thankful for your, your life, I think we ought to be thankful. As a matter of fact, I'm going to preach on today, Thanksgiving living is every day. And we ought to be thanking Him every day. Take, take your Bibles and tone, turn to Romans 8, 31. I'm going to read 31 and 32 right now. <clears throat> What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? Maybe you've been living life here lately and you just sort of, I just think God's against everything I'm doing. Y'all ever gotten that feeling sometimes? Is God against me? You know, I hear that a lot when I go visiting in the jail. I believe God's against me. Well, you know what? A lot of people get saved in jail, too. You know that. And I'm not talking about jailhouse religion, either. I'm, sorry, I'm talking about some people get genuinely saved, and God just has to hem you up and lock you up and, until you hear and confess up and repent and get it right. But then God just has a way sometimes just dealing with us normally in a, in, a, in a dead church service or at home or out on the side of the road, somebody faithful enough to tell you about Jesus. Well, I just think we ought to be faithful. And the first thing I want to share with you this beginning this morning, uh, why I think we need to be faithful, biblically we see we, we need to be faithful, it's because I'm thankful every day that God stands for me. You may think God's against you, but the Bible says God is not against you. He's for you. He's there for you. Now, the grammatical term if in that phrase 831 would be better translated since rather than if. In other words, it's since God's for us. It's not if he is. We already know he is if you're a believer. He's for you. He's not against you. <clears throat> you say, well, here lately, Mike, it's been tough, man. Life's been rough. Matter of fact, I, I haven't even been feeling saved. What do you think? Joseph felt when he was in prison in Egypt. You think he felt great? I mean, he got put there because he was doing the right thing. He learned, though, that God plus one equals a majority. 
Do you think Job and all the trouble that he faced, having lose, 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 he lost his family and his friends and his fortune, do you think that he still knew that God wasn't against him? I mean, he, he probably wandered there for a while. Oh, Jonah, when he got swallowed by that big old fish, he was running from God. He was rebelling against God, but God wasn't against him when he prepared the big fish. He was actually for it. Sometimes big fish get prepared for us and they swallow us. <laughs> it's got to be uncomfortable being in the belly of a big fish at the bottom of the ocean, wouldn't you think? I think I'd rather be on a cruise liner. How about you? Not a submarine and after all, not a big fish. But Jonah knew what it was all about. God plus one equal to majority. David learned that lesson when he fought Goliath. Daniel learned that lesson when he fought in the, uh, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Moses learned it at the Red Sea. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned it at the fiery furnace. Paul and Peter learned it again in prison. I, I think that we need to understand that God is really for me. According to verse 31, it, he teaches us that he's interested in us. What can we say about such wonderful things as this? Is God for us? If, or since he's for us, who can be against us? You know, God's interested in you. He's interested in me. And his interest is in the fact that he loved us before time began, formulated a plan to bring us to himself. He knew us, yet he loved us and made a way for us to be saved by his grace, which is the proof that he's interested in us. Why did he send his son? Because he's interested in you. Before you were ever born, he was interested in you. And some of you walk around with depressed and down in the mouth and, and, and feeling like, good night, God don't love me, God don't like me. Yes, he does. Even if you've given him a good reason not to, he still does. <laughs> he made, not only is he interested in this, but he made an investment in this. Verse 32, God loves sinners so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for us, to shed his blood on the cross for us, to re eternally redeem us. He made an investment. His only son. He did something I don't know that anybody in this room can do. I love my boys, and I don't believe I could give up my boys for your life. And I'd probably whoop you on my grandkids if you started messing, or I'd try. Some of you are bigger than I am, and you know it. And you know when I go talking about getting whooped, I'd whoop that preacher. Yeah, but I'll, be, I'll give you a run for your money. And I just want you to know that God loved you. The Heavenly Father loved you enough to send His only begotten Son to die for you. I ain't going to have a voice in the next time, am I? <laughs> Do you know what? The Father gave the Son, Jesus gave Himself, and the Holy Spirit sealed the deal. And that's powerful stuff. 
And yet some of us, you know, if we had to really down deep, get up and be honest, you say, Mike, if the world looked at me, they'd swear up and down I was as wicked as they are. But you see what the world don't know is that when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ, when you got saved, Jesus knew that you would still blow it. Jesus knew you'd still sin. That's why he had to do the dying. He knew that you couldn't hold on to him, that he had to hold on to you. He knew that. I haven't met a Christian yet good enough to hold on to Jesus. Somewhere you're going to let go, brother. There was a transaction that took place for the redeemed. The Bible tells us that he justified us, what he declared as guiltless. His blood applied to my account means my sins were given to Jesus' account, and my account was wiped clean. Mike, you don't deserve that. Absolutely, I don't deserve that. I deserve hell, man, and you do too. But you see, that's not what the transaction we got. Even though we may not look good, we may not smell good, we may not always walk good, we may not always talk good, we might not always look good, we are good. Why? Because Jesus is good in us. He's there, implanted in us, and he can't leave. Son, sealed unto the day of redemption. Yeah, Mike, I know. Some days I don't feel saved. I got news for you. Some days I don't either. And I have to go back and remind myself, Mike, you're a son. You've been adopted into the family. You've been justified. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back. You've been saved. You've been glorified. You've been magnified. You have been elevated as a king's kid. Well, then I get to walk in a little bit better. May not look any better, but I feel better. Because Jesus made something out of us. He gave us a new nature when he saved us. He's in there for us. Second of all, I'm thankful every day that God stands with me. <clears throat> Listen to verse 33. Who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He is the one who's given us a right standing with himself. It is he and he alone, and only he can do it. You see, Satan is our accuser. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, The accuser of our brothers and sisters have been thrown down to the earth, the one who accused us before God day and night. And let me tell you something. When Satan accuses you before the Father, he's normally dead to right. He don't take a lie. He takes the truth. You see, you and I, when we look at the truth of the matter is, even though we're a follower of Christ, and even though we love Jesus, we're still sinning. We're still blowing it. We're still transgressing. And Satan just loves to take that to the Father. 
and say, you know that, that boy down there, that he says he loves you. Take away everything that he has and he'll curse your name. <clears throat> you know, Job didn't do that, but I've seen some who have. I've seen some professing believers that as long as everything was going their way, they were hallelujah, glory to God. But you let them go through a rough spot in life, and then all of a sudden, well, I just must not be saved. Now, if you ain't saved, you ain't saved. But if you are, shut up. Realize you're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to do things that are wrong. And Jesus knew it. That's why the Father had to send the heavyweight. He had to send the blood of heaven to cleanse us so we could get ready for heaven. Man, your blood isn't worth nothing. My blood's worth nothing when I die. It quits flowing. But my Emmanuel vein, it flows from the deepest part of the earth to through heaven, and it circles the world. It's an eternal blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's Jesus that declared us righteous and holy. And we need to live up to that name, but sometimes we just don't. That's why Satan becomes our prosecuting attorney. And Jesus is our defense attorney. Listen to 1 John 1, 2, 1 says, But if you do not sin, there is someone, but if you do sin, if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus, and he pleases God completely. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 1, that Jesus is our defense attorney. Satan is prosecuting. And he loves to make you feel like a piece of dirt. He loves to make you feel guilty. He loves to make you feel dirty. Now, look, if we're in sin, we need to confess it, and we need to repent of it and get on with life. But what Satan loves to do is you, you, you goof up, and, and you got enough, you got, you got all these accusers. Look at how sorry you to think that that person did that. And I guess you ain't ever done nothing. You perfect. You better thank God there is one that is perfect, and his name is Jesus. And that, that, that brother stands with me, and he stands with you. And, and when you and I, when we come to the Scripture, we need to understand that we have a picture of a courtroom, and, and Satan's accusing, and, and he's the defense, or he's the prosecuting attorney, and Jesus is our de defense attorney, and we're standing before the judge. Now, this is, this is neat, because the Bible tells us in John 5, 22, and the Father leaves all the judgment to the Son. Get that. You will not walk in any other courtroom like this one. Your, your defense attorney is also the judge. Now, I like that court. I've been in these other courts. To me, it's Mickey Mouse. 
the land, the court of the land today. I don't care if you work in it. I don't care if you draw your livelihood from it. When I go into them, I see nothing but politics. I see nothing but junk. There's nothing clear. There's nothing you, nobody knows what's going on. Not even the lawyers know what's going on. Sometimes the judge is sitting there like a monkey going, I don't have a clue what's going on. And then he gets mad and, and blesses out all the attorneys and everybody else for embarrassing him in court. Some of you stood before some of this ridiculous stuff. Of course, you deserved it. Thank you, Butch. If, no, if you don't understand, hear his voice, you don't, know, you don't learn any. Most people are in, and, and when I go visit them, I ain't guilty. Yeah, you are. You're guilty of sin. You just got caught. By the way, you all in here ain't got caught yet. You're guilty of sin. You just ain't got caught. And thank God, I guess, I ain't got time to go to jail every day. Our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, in the courtroom, as the judge holds up his nail-pierced hands, shows it to the judge, the gavel comes down, the verdict's rendered, not guilty, case dismissed. And you tell me you don't have nothing to be thankful for? What is wrong with you? Jesus stands with me as my defense and my counsel, my attorney in court, <coughs> court, attorney in court, and judge as I stand before him. And he cares for me as a shepherd. John 10 says, My sheep recognize my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No, nobody will snatch them out of my hand from the Father that's given them to me. And he's more powerful than anybody else on this earth. No one can take him from me. Romans 8.30, Paul sounds it. Can anything separate us from the love of Jesus? If it's trouble or we're in trouble or calamity or being persecuted or hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death, in verse 37, no, despite all these things, we are overwhelming, victorious through our Lord Jesus Christ who loves us. Verse 38 says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't, our fears for today can't, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep God's love from us. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I would say Jesus is pretty well determined to stick with us. It is our spiritual birthright for every Christian to know that they're saved. As Christians, we do not have to wonder. We don't have to hope. You don't have to be a part of a certain religion. By the way, religion will send you straight to hell. Any church that says 
you have to belong to it before you go into heaven is nothing but a cult. It's a false religion. We have to be a part of the kingdom, the body of Christ, not the Jehovah Witness kingdom, but God's kingdom. And the blood bought are those who are a member of it. They're not Baptists, they're not Methodists, they're not Presbyterian, and I can go on and on and on and on. They are born-again believers. Well, Mike, why do you work under a Baptist framework? Because I've been a Baptist under that framework most of my life. I was born in a Baptist hospital. It's true. It was on the river in Knoxville, Tennessee. No longer working now. I guess I put it out of business. I, my folks took me Baptist churches. I, I've been, I went to a Baptist college. Went to a Baptist seminary. Well, does that make you a Baptist? No. I'm a Baptist because I believe we stand for the book. When Baptists quit standing for the book, I'm through. I'll be a whatever then. But, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't feel like it, it hurts our testimony to be a Baptist. I'm not afraid to put Baptists on the sign. A lot of churches out here are. But I'm not ashamed of it, but I just know that it won't save you. Only Jesus will save you. Well, Mike, you just should not teach believers that we are eternally saved. Well, what do you want me to do, lie to you? You mean just lie to you? Look, the Bible teaches that you are saved eternally. <laughs> One guy, young guy, got saved, and he like me when I got saved. I didn't know that there was such a thing as losing your salvation. I'd never heard much about that when I got saved. And so I just heard the gospel, and I heard <clears throat> that what Jesus was, did on the cross was complete, and I accepted it. That means I'm complete. And then Colossians says, I'm complete in him. So I didn't know that I could become incomplete. And he went into a gas station to a guy that, you know, loved the Lord, and he loved the witness, and he, he, but he looked at him, and he said, now, son, I know you just got saved, but I want you to know you need to be careful because you could lose your salvation. He said, what do you mean lose my salvation? He said, well, let me just tell you something like this. If you're out in a rowboat and you got an oar in one hand, that's faith. And the other hand, the other oar, that's works. And if all you do is just row that one oar of faith, you just go around the circle. You never get to heaven. But if you put works with it, and you roar with faith and you works, you'll roll yourself right on into heaven. Golly, he said, I ain't never heard that before. And, and he got real kind of upset, so he went to his pastor's house. And he sat down and he said, preacher, I need, to, I need to tell you something. And he told the preacher what the gas station attendant had told him. And, and, and the pastor looked at him and said, now look, that illustration might make sense. But I want you to go back and tell that gas attendant station that we are not going to heaven in a rowboat. 
We're going to heaven because we're blood-bought. We're going to heaven because we're redeemed. We're going to heaven because we've been declared guiltless and justified. We're going to heaven because we've been saved. We're going to heaven because Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, and covered me in, took my sin account and applied it to him, and it's no longer applicable to me. That's why I'm going to heaven. It's not because I don't sin. Rowboat. Thirdly, I'm thankful every day that God stands by me. Not only does He stand for me, not only does He stand with me, but He stands by me. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. No matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. One man was bragging to a bunch of kids at the church parking lot. And boy, he was just trying to tell them how big a man he is and a big Christian he is. He's, and them little old kids' eyes were looking at him. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, kids, I took my pocket knife on one day, and with that pocket knife, I cut off the biggest man-eating lion's tail you've ever seen. Really? One little boy looked at him and said, well, why didn't you cut his head off? He said, somebody had already done that. <laughs> he was real big, wasn't he? We get to a bit overconfident sometimes. But let me tell you something. Life will balance you. <laughs> Life will teach you something. And, I, and the part of life I'm talking about is the kind of life that's kind of difficult. Y'all know what difficult living is about? Say amen. Well, evidently you don't. You know, life ain't easy. Life's rough sometimes. And life can be hard on us. And Jesus knows that. But now, now look, we need to be thankful or that our thankfulness should not be limited to when things are just going well. Now, today, in an hour or two, I'm going to stand, and I'm, I'm not going to say, Glory to God! Rayburn's gone to glory! I'm not going to say that. We got a sister that's got cancer, probably going to take her out. I'm not going to run in that hospital and run, Woo! Woo! Glory! You got cancer. Baby, you're going to die. I ain't going to do that. You see, I'm thankful and I'm grateful in my trial, but I'm not always grateful for all the trials that I have to go through. And sometimes these situations that we face, they're tough. They can take the wind out of you. <laughs> One fella <clears throat> or two fellows were out walking in the field one day, and they spotted a bull charging them, and 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 they ran as fast as they could, kept, fast as they could run toward the fence, and the bull followed them in hot pursuit. Terrified, one of the one of the one of them shouted out, "Put up a prayer, John! Pray now!" He said, "We're in for it." John yelled back, "Pray! I don't know how to pray." 
His companion yelled back, you better pray something. The bull's catching up with us. John yelled back, okay. So he prayed the only prayer he knew. Oh, Lord, for what we're about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) We try to be thankful for some of the things we have to face sometimes in life, but it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. Thank God, though, (coughs) that you and I, have a Lord that's, that he gives us peace. Philippians 4, 7 says he gives us peace that passes all understanding. And in the most difficult of times, Hebrews 13, 5 says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm not going to pull out on you. God loves you. He wants to take care of you. You know, I, I said this earlier and I'm close. If my boys were starving, they were hungry, I'd do everything in my power to see to it. Even if I enabled them, I'd see to it they got food. But I'll tell you what, if my grandkids wants a piece of bubble gum, I bust the doggone machine to get it. Now, I'm an enabler with my grandkids. Well, if, God, if we do that for human beings, don't you think God don't want to take care of you? Don't you think that God, I mean, you're his children. You that are born again, blood-bought, know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, you can get saved. You just come, we'll show you how to be saved. If you realize you're lost, that's your invitation to be saved. But you don't think, Jesus, I'm not going to take care of you. With your heads bowed, I'm